You are now listening to The Last Day's Return of the Historic Faith with your host, Pastor Jeremy Anderson and Brother Matthew Marcel. This podcast is for the kingdom Christian in the end times. As aliens in a foreign land and ambassadors of our king, we proudly fly the flag with the cross as we sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Reality Radio Network on Telstar 5 Transponder 5 and on the internet at realityradionetwork.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're doing a second hour of a very special series with my guest, Tom Horn, and we're talking about the fallen alien agenda, the great deception, what is going to be happening. Tom Horn, in the first hour, gave a marvelous revelation of the amount of years before all this stuff is loose were there or within close proximity to the year 2008. Tom, let's talk about demonic Manchurian candidates, and then we're going to go in the last half hour, and don't let me get beyond this, I want Christians, I want you to explain what true believers can do and can expect. But let's go to this, the Black Awakening and the Demonic Manchurian Candidates, because I know what you mean, because I know you so well through your writings and through our friendship, but I want people to understand what you mean. Well, look, I don't, you know, um, early in this series, I had asked you if you thought the end times army of Joel, um, described in Joel 2, 1 through 11, might be the unleashing of the Nephilim in the last days. Um, why that's been interesting to me is because my formal training told me that Joel was talking about a locust plague. Um, but it wasn't until I became, you know, seriously interested about Bible prophecy that I started studying Joel 2, 1 through 11. And it's amazing if you read that text. I'm not going to take time to read it. He sounds like he's talking about the unleashing of giants and powerful beings who are running upon the earth, uh, millions of them, and that nothing has been seen like them before, nothing will be seen like them again. Uh, I think the, the, the prophecy compares perfectly to Isaiah and Enoch and others, stating how the Lord is going to open a gateway, he's going to allow these Gaborim giants to come forth in the day of his wrath, like we were talking about before the break. Uh, Enoch 70 generations. Um, but there could be an additional piece to this puzzle, this black awakening. Um, I don't know if you have you read the articles um, like Appearing at Darkness by Sue Bradley? Yes. I've actually linked to those on my website, which, by the way, congratulations to Sue. She's done a marvelous job. Sue's, Sue is a great thinker. She's written you know, uh, exclusives for Raiders News Update and others in the past. She's a wonderful thinker. Uh, I've talked to her on the phone one time. I've emailed with her different times. But she's writing this series now called uh, Secrets of the Black Awakening. And what she's doing is she's taking Pastor uh, Russ Distar. Do you know him? No. Well, she's taking his predictions to heart that part and parcel this end times deception 
that we've been talking about. That part and parcel to that is going to be a sudden flash of uh, violence and brutality being carried out on the earth by tens of thousands of demonically infused humans, Manchurian candidates, in order to bring the world to its knees. Um, uh, Steve, I'm, I know you saw this article this week in the news where Satan, Satanists had captured these kids. Right. And they, and they stabbed them 666 times, 666 times, and then they ate them. Right. Well, Dizdar's Black Awakening essentially says that that kind of stuff is going to happen in mass all over the world at the same time that you, are, you and I are talking about this great deception coming to pass. Um, now, in, in, and you'll love this, Steve, and I know you will because of your, the book you wrote, um, The Genesis 6 Giants. In her latest article called What Lies Beneath, Sue Bradley, over there at um, Peering into Darkness, she's, she's talking about Adolf Hitler's fascination with Mount Untersberg. Am I saying that right? Untersberg? Yeah, Unt, I think it's Unt with the umlauts. Untersberg. Untersberg. And this whole Nazi uh, occult infatuation with the Aryan super race and the Ubermensch and even Atlantis and the idea that uh, a remnant of these powerful beings could be awaiting beneath the mountains. I mean, this certainly goes back to what we were talking about the first hour. Sure, and that's what Hitler sent the uh, uh, Ananerbi throughout the world looking for these. I mean, we've all heard of the gross um, experiments done on different races of people. They were looking for the uh, Nietzsche's uh, supermen that right. they could genetically reproduce. Right. Well, and, and anyway, in one part of her article, she quotes... Um, uh, Andrew Collins, who wrote the book Gateway to Atlantis, which I've never read. But she quotes him where he's talking about, evidently, that the, the race of beings who were perceived to be gods were put inside mountains, um, or may have even been there long prior to their contact with humanity, and then long after, according to the various different legends you and I have talked about ad nauseum. Uh, of course, this guy, you know, he's writing from a secularist point of view. But I noted in her article where he concludes about the legend of the offspring of giants being bound beneath the earth. Um, he, he says, um, he asked the question, was this the source of the notion that demons lived beneath the earth? He also says, uh, could it have been the source of the idea that a group of gods were cast into the abyss or inside the earth. And then he goes on to talk about how he believed it was very likely and that it would explain the widespread pervasiveness of this legend around the earth and that at any rate it would seem conceivable that the all these universal belief systems have some sort of origin in fact. You know, keep in mind he's probably writing as a secularist. But what he's saying is extraordinary in that he is saying that rather than being universally concocted for no particular reason, uh, even the most outlandish superstitions and beliefs had to have had their origin somewhere and in something which at one time was concrete. 
and he says that he brings that that he brings all of this back. Uh, for instance, um, to for instance, the myth of the black sun, which was connected to the myth of Osiris. And remember, early on in this series, you and I talked about Osiris being equal to um, um, the creator of the temple of. Uh, the uh, Babylon Temple, excuse me, the, the, the Tower of Babel, my mind went away for a moment. He, t- he says all of that was kind of a form of symbolic shorthand, shorthand, something that was inten- uh, intended to be emblematic of the idea that there were things, giants, who survived the great deluge. So even, even secular writers, and I guess this is what stood out to me, believe that all of these ancient records uh, are too widespread and similar, attested to by different cultures, to be fiction. That this idea that there were real giants surviving or held within the earth has to be true. Now, Steve, I believe um, that in, in these writings about the black awakening, um, there's something else here that is of interest to me, what Sue Bradley has written. This idea that there could be a demonic Manchurian candidate, many of them, being part of a great deception. Um, you may have saw the article, you know, that came out from, um, I think it was Discover, Discover or Discovery Magazine this week, and it was called, uh, Could an Inner Zombie Be Controlling Your Brain? Did you see that? Yeah, I actually linked to that. I, I, I saw it on your website and linked to it. I read it, and I thought, uh, boy, are these guys just about beating around the bush. Why don't they just talk and, and deal with what it is, you know? I, I mean, the bottom line, inner zombie, there's no better definition to me for <laughs> demon possession than that. Isn't that wonderful, Tom? Now they'll have new uh, psychobabble sessions where get in touch with your inner zombie. Oh, no. <laughs> well, Steve, you may be right. And, and, and all of this research, you know, saying that they have scientific evidence that suggests that the self-aware part of our brain, in other words, who we really are, isn't always in charge. That's what the article was saying. Well, I think Jesus encountered that a great deal, uh, especially in the realm of Pharisees and Sadducees. I would say in dealing with religious people, Tom, from maybe some of your background and my background, I'm going to be careful. I won't speak for yours, <laughs> but let me just say this. Our mutual former associations, I could, I, I can say this. Uh, my former associations would prove that statement true. Well, now, so let's, let's say a couple of things. First of all, according to the article, they were talking about how that in the 1960s, um, psychologists, neurologists, they had began to find evidence that the self-aware part of who we are is not always in charge. <laughs> Obviously, we're going to make some biblical metaphors out of this in a moment. Um, but that humans are sometimes deeply influenced by uh, perceptions, thoughts, feelings, desires that are not part of who the real them is. It's this inner zombie. And the boldest claims in that article, people can just go and read the article, could inner zombies be controlling your brain? Um, uh, Their boldest claims had to do with what they said was mounting evidence of the inner zombie being uh, at work and how that the scientists who were doing this study, um, 
you know, we're finding that the eye, um, you know, the intuitive feeling that there is an, ex- an, an executive eye, I think that's the phrase they use. Me, right, or whoever the, third, I am. the third eye the occultists use. Well, but they were saying the eye that you think you are, the, 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 the you that you think sits in a control room somehow in your brain scanning the screens of your senses and pushing the buttons of your muscles and telling you where to go and whatever, that that is an, sometimes an illusion. And now, the, the, the spiritual side of this that you, that you brought out, several fascinating things, one having to do with lordship. And that somebody or something may be able to remotely influence a person. Um, and, and this too, of course, could play into part of this great deception and this dark awakening. For instance, this article talked about how that, uh, earlier this year there was this, this team of, of these researchers at Copenhagen, I think, um, they were talking about how they had these 11 healthy people, uh, and, and they were able to temporarily, uh, blind these people by focusing a beam of magnetism at the back of their heads. Now, you know, this could t- totally take us into talking about psychotronic weapons, but they, they talked about how they could do that, how it interfered with the activity of the neurons in the visual cortex portion of their brains. Uh, but they said that that um, um, the zombie part of the brain in those experiments, in half, not all, half, of their subjects took over, and and that zombie part of the brain could still see and was making decisions uh, in place of the self-aware person. Anyway, the fact that this zombie side of half of these subjects could be remotely controlled, uh, you know, it reminded me of several things. One how the Bible says that God will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on him. You remember that? Sure, and casting down, taking every thought captive to the obedience of the cross of Jesus. If you've got to take something captive, then that automatically is presupposing that there are non-captive thoughts that are controlling you that must be taken under captivity, or they will control you. That's right. Other verses that have to do with the fact that we become the servant of whoever we make ourselves servants to obey. Um, but thirdly, it reminded me of this. Did you see the article in Wired magazine maybe about three, four weeks ago now? And, and it was called Top Pentagon Scientists Fear Brain Modified Pose. Did you see that article? Yeah, I did. I actually read Wired or I look at Wired every day. Well, it was this whole article had to do uh, with how there's concern now in some corners of the U.S. military about enemy activities in mind enhancement research. And they were talking about neuropharmaceutical performance enhancement, brain-computer interfaces, all the stuff you and I have talked about before, and I've talked about ad nauseum on other shows. Uh, but, but what they were saying, and, and this was what stood out to me, was that the warning against this was not coming from the Pentagon's scientific fringe, uh, you know, some tin hat kook with a defense department badge. Um, this was coming from the celebrated scientists on the Pentagon's most prestigious scientific advisory panel, uh, Jason. The Jasons, I mean, they are the highest. They're, and they were the ones who were worried that our adversaries might 
create technology that could exploit advances in human performance modification having to do with the brain, um, and that this could become a national security. And so they started advocating um, that the American military start both funding and pushing ahead with its own performance, mind, in, uh, you know, per, uh, enhancement, brain enhancement research to make sure that U.S. enemies don't suddenly become smarter, faster, better able to endure the harsh realities of war uh, than American troops. Now, Steve, you and I have done, uh, you know, like a five or six hour show on psychotronic warfare, so we don't need to go back there again. What stood out to me about this has to do with this black awakening. Imagine this black awakening, this dark Manchurian candidates situation. I would say this too. Demon possessed, non human intelligence activated vessels. Could, Steve, it could mean something entirely more frightening um, than most people can even imagine. I mean, when you take when you take the genetic modification of humans and transhumans, uh, and and the, the whole transhumanist aspiration, which you know we're we're reading about this on the superficial level, but the transhumanist aspiration has been codified within U.S. military doctrine for at least twenty years now. Take all of that into consideration, uh, and imagine what this might mean in terms of a black awakening. You know, WorldNet Daily, they're going to be running, uh, people will read this after the fact, but they're going to be running their top story tomorrow at WorldNet Daily on my book, Nephilim Stargates, on this whole idea that biotech could be leading back to the incarnating of supernatural unknowns. Well, that's that's true, Tom. That's the whole basis of genetic Armageddon when I wrote it. Today's technology, tomorrow's monsters. Let me even go one step further. Let's say that the powers that be, the Luciferians, the devil worshippers, those who are servants of Satan, uh, uh, descendants of darkness, let's say that they have uh, replaced through advanced cloning, advanced genetic engineering, uh, some of the most powerful and well-recognized figures in the world. And let's suppose those, well, those most uh, well-recognized figures now have another entity, a non-human entity. In other words, demonic possession, a supernatural intelligence that motivates them. And understand this, it will be pretty easy to see how all of the leaders of the earth would give their power over to the beast, is it not? Well, yeah. I mean, imagine um, Pastor Russ Dizdar's idea about a black awakening but not with humans, with humans who are part human, part something else, who are in tune with supernatural unknowns, actually being controlled by them. The, the whole question, you know, a, a lot of what I actually talk about, when I go on to some of the, you know, the mainstream shows, which they, they can't talk at depth like you and I do, and so I have to kind of superficialize the discussion. But I always try to ask this question, you know, how might changing us as a species, and especially integrating us with the animal species, which, according to these all these ancient records, is exactly what the Watchers did, how might that open doors or gateways of the mind, which, frankly, we don't know very much about, Steve, including why there are parts of our brain, most of our brain, that seems to be 
closed off beyond our understanding, closed off since the time of the fall. Will those regions of the mind, brain, be reopened through altering us, through blending us with other species? I can tell you because I've debated leading transhumanists on their own shows, and I'm talking about people who have PhDs and who are ethicists at leading universities. I've been on their shows, I've debated them, uh, and in fact was told by one of them that I actually made a better case than he did, but he told me that off the air, he didn't tell me that on the air. But these, these people not only believe that we might be able to peer into what we think of as the supernatural, they actually hope so. The, the Finnish Transhumanist Association even published a study about all this not long ago, and they actually talked about how super intelligence might be reached through this technology. And, and what astonished me about the research was they said that this would be a creation um, that might that might be able to uh, capable, if you will, of doing both great good, and then they said this, or great harm depending on its goals. <laughs> yeah. So, and I found this astonishing given what I had researched in your books and other books on the Nephilim. Uh, and you can't help but notice how that in addition to gigantism, uh, the ancient descriptions of these Nephilim included psychic abilities, mind control, um, superhuman strength, as well as superhuman lifespans. Um, so that we were we were talking about something that is so far beyond our capacity to be able to understand it. You know, I read this article at the Washington Post not long ago called "Chimeras: A Step Closer to Reality," mm-hmm. and they were talking about how this in this in this whole series of dramatic experiments that had been done by a scientist called Ivan uh, Balaban at McGill University in Montreal, how that Balaban had taken small sections of brain from developing quails, and he had transplanted these. In no, the... no relatives of mine, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no. He had, he had transplanted those into the developing brains of chickens. Now, here's why this is important. The resulting chickens exhibited vocal trills and head bobs unique to quails. And what this proved, Steve, was that the transplanted parts of the brain contained the neural circuitry for quail calls. And more importantly, it also proved that complex behaviors could be transferred across species. Right, and isn't it interesting? Jurassic giant intelligence, Jurassic giant uh, powers. By the way, Tom, these things aren't Neanderthals. These things are highly developed. I mean, I'm talking the giants and the things that we're talking about are going to come back on the earth. They have supernatural intelligence. They have supernatural capabilities. And there is uh, the wonderful promise, and we'll get to it in the second half of the show, that Jesus said he gives us power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. What you and I are painting is the most horrific uh, picture of how soon and how present this evil is, and the point is, is that we're we're up against. How do I say this? We're up against things that are not only a combination of technology and demons, fallen angels, and accelerated uh, uh, human desire to wipe themselves off the face of the planet or out of the universe. But when you put it all together, this is probably one of the darkest periods of time that will have ever been in all the history of mankind. 
that's exactly right. And 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 so the whole idea of this dark awakening that suddenly you have all these, you know, here comes this great deception. People are seeing this fearful manifestations in the sky. And and yet the the giants have not even come out of the ground. And suddenly you have the dark awakening. Right. Do you remember you posted the picture of the giant coming out of the ground in where is that Washington DC or one of the parks out on the east coast? Yes. You remember that? Uh-huh. You carried that on Raiders. And I thought it was fascinating because if there's ever anything, whoever uh, was a sculptor of that or whoever funded that knows exactly what Tom Horn and Steve Quayle are talking <laughs> about right now. No, and that's Tom- exactly right. And, and they actually set, they put that in a position so that as the tide comes in, the thing will be buried in the water. And as the tide sweeps out, it shows this giant trying to come up out of the uh, out of the earth. Actually, it's out of the abyss. Out of because, the abyss. Because when you look up the Hebrew word for abyss, you come up with an interesting understanding of a prison covered by water. And I think they did that too on purpose. Let's let's kind of shift because we've only got now less All than right. thirty minutes. Let's talk about what true believers can do and can expect. And and again. Obviously, Jesus said he gave us all power in heaven and earth, but we're talking about something that isn't basically turning to page 85 in the hymnal and thinking you've got it, <laughs> no, or basically right. getting a pep talk on the metaphors of a golf. You can tell my least favorite sermons I ever heard in my life were metaphors for golf, okay? Yeah, but, well, so uh, let, so let's just kind of bring this down to the end, because as yes. I understand it, this is the last two hours we're going to do in this series. Yes, sir. And it'll it'll wind up being about a five hour series. All, everything that we've been talking about, including the science I was mentioning a moment ago, could take this whole black awakening and everything else we've been talking about to a new level. Um, you know, one can imagine beings of extraordinary condition under the control of commanding officers, and all of whom can see into and are maybe even themselves or are themselves under the control of invisible entities, archons, being part of the appearance of these UFOs, the giants coming out of the earth, and all of the other things that are that are told to us in Scripture, including what I pointed out to you today that was brand new to me, that God just gave me about 70 generations, and this is in the book of Enoch, and anybody who wants to verify what I have said will be able to verify that for themselves. That brings us exactly to the year 2008. So, Steve, where is all of this ultimately now leading us? You, you take all of these abundant universal prophecies that the end time, are going to witness what we have been calling a reopening of the gates of uh, of heaven and hell, uh, the descending of a false savior. It's important to note that from the Middle Ages forward, church leaders have believed, at least scholars have believed, that the Antichrist is ultimately going to represent the return of the Nephilim, the return of a demon and human, if you will. By the way, do you know what the Antichrist refers to the giants that are loosed and to be loosed as? This is from, uh, uh, you know, supposedly the lips of the Antichrist on earth right now. His imprisoned brothers. I'm telling you, again, people can question how I would know that. I have no way of knowing that unless someone who's actually been in a conversation. But don't you find it interesting? 
what what I'm telling you, Tom, is unknown to you. The validation of that very thought that you are having right now has already been given to me by multiple high-ranking military guys. Well, look, what I know, Steve, and I know that you have contact with individuals, and and one of the things we didn't even talk about tonight is how that you have information um, concerning giants and inside these caves and behind these boundaries. You have military information telling you that we may not be able to hold these things back very much longer. Correct. Um, and, and so that, too, is part of what I think Enoch and Isaiah and all these other prophecies, prophets, have told us concerning the end times. The bottom line is, if the Antichrist is, in fact, at length, the physical offspring of a demon, he is, first of all, he's going to be the exact opposite of what Jesus was, the Son of God. Um, but he is going to be the forerunner of the return of the Nephilim, or he is going to appear at the same time. And and that could be why um, Jesus said, I, and in fact I believe this, Jesus said, why the, t- the end times would be as the days of Noah's were, and Noah was. Um, and also why the prophet Isaiah, as well as Enoch, uh, tie all of this, the return of the Nephilim, to this time frame, Enoch by 70 generations from the flood, bringing us to the year 2008. Isaiah saying, uh, and, and, and that date is not fixed, by the way, it could fluctuate one way or the other. Isaiah saying the gateways are going to open when Iraq, Babylon is invaded and then destroyed. Um, all of this brings us to a point right now, Steve, where something could happen overnight. The, this astonishing, uh, possibility that we could be witnessing the unfolding of biblical prophecy and all of this amplified even by the invasion of U.S. forces, the ongoing occupation of the ancient city of Babylon where thousands of these troops admittedly filled their sandbags with archaeological material on arrival in Baghdad causing some people to wonder, you know, if cuneiform tablets with Information about lost exotic technology were recovered. Even more alarming tablets with ancient diagrams leading to pure-blooded Nephilim buried beneath the sands in underground caves there in uh, Babylon. Um, But just imagine um, we know that the science that we are conducting now is reminiscent of what had occurred in ancient text, talking about the science of the uh, watchers. You have the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA now, heavily investing in projects like the Extended Warfighter Program. Um, We are in Babylon, and there are numerous texts which suggest Sciences of genetic manipulation are going to be part of the coming of the Antichrist. Uh, even how he and other demons may be uh, embodied. Do you remember the, the, the dream from Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which he gave to Daniel um, concerning this whole final revived empire that uh, ultimately is going to provide the grand entry 
for the father of all Nephilim, the Antichrist of end times prophecy. And Daniel's prediction is amazing when you compare it to biotechnology. When he talks about whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seeds of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with miry clay. And you and I did a show one time talking about how uh, this whole personal pronoun, they, shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, uh, was extraordinary. And that who, you know, who are the non-seed and that it staggers the mind to contemplate the potential significant significance of Daniel's prophecy uh, as well as these other prophecies. Daniel also, um, uh, when you take his prophecy and you couple it with Genesis 3, you have this whole incredible tenet that emerges that Satan has seed and that it is at enmity with Christ, Genesis 3.15. And this whole um, transliteration of the word seed is Sarah, which means offspring or descendants or children. So, Steve, the bottom line meaning that Satan has posterity that are lurking behind gates, whether it's inside mountains, behind hills, or whatever, and they are waiting for this final moment, this final opportunity to mingle themselves with human DNA as in the days of old, um, a method by which I think the Antichrist himself is going to be incarnated. We, I've said this before. You know, if Genesis 6 is truly an account of rebel angels leaving their habitation and cohabiting with human females, out of which human mutant life forms were born, then it's reasonable to assume that Satan as a fallen angel either already has or will be allowed an ability to somehow either copulate or mingle with a woman, gen be genetically blended with her DNA to produce an offspring. And uh, by, by the way, half of Hollywood, uh, maybe not half, but I, I'm just going to tell people this, there are well-known actresses that are openly bragging about having sex with demons. Did you know that, Tom? Yeah. I think you, yeah, you carried a couple of stories on Raiders. So when, when so when people don't get this, and I want to make this clear, so I don't get the emails and all the the idiot letters I've had to put up over three decades. Jesus said, "In heaven they are neither given nor taken in marriage, but are as the angels." We're talking about angels that didn't stay in heaven, didn't keep the place that God created them to keep, and came to earth and took on themselves the ability to copulate and genetically mingle their if you will, their uh, creative uh, energy with everything from plants, reptiles, animals. I mean, they, they, and I don't, I don't, you know, they could have done it through laboratories, whatever, but they basically wanted to corrupt every single thing that the Lord God of heaven had made in the book of Genesis said, and the Lord saw that it was good. Well, so everything you and I have been talking about is bringing us to a moment, and according to the Bible, this Antichrist, who is going to be presented as the answer to the chaos that's going to be uh, put upon the earth through the alien UFO phenomenon and the appearance of these giants. This Antichrist, Paul says, is going to be the son of perdition. He's going to be the male progeny of the Greek Apollaea or Apollyon. And the implication there, Steve, couldn't be clearer. The man of sin is going to be the physical offspring of a destroyer demon. He's going to be a transgenic, uh, uh, biotechnologically created, if you will, um, demon incarnation of the highest order. And, and 
And that is what everything we've been talking about is leading to, a time in which the very near future we're going to have a man of superior intelligence, wit, charm, diplomacy. He's going to descend either from the clouds or up from the earth. In whatever case, he's going to emerge on the world scene as a savior. He will be the man who is going to save the earth from their great fears brought on by this great deception. He's going to have this He'll, he will seem to have a transcendent wisdom. Uh, he's going to be able to solve problems. He's going to offer solutions. He's going to alleviate our fears from the chaos. Uh, he's going to have problems for all of today's perplexing issues. His popularity is going to be widespread. Fans are going to be young and old, religious, non-religious, church, non-church, male and female. Talk show hosts are going to be talking about you know, how great uh, a person he is. Uh, he is. Colleagues, news anchors, everybody's going to be covering his movement. Scholars, uh, biblical scholars, are going to be applauding his uncanny ability at resolving what has escaped the rest of us. He is going to be, in every human way, the best idea of society. But here's what people need to know: his profound comprehension, his irresistible presence, is going to be the result of an invisible network of thousands of years of collective knowledge. He is literally going to represent the embodiment of a very old, super-intelligent spirit. Uh, just like Jesus Christ was the seed of the woman, he is going to be the seed of the serpent, Genesis 3.15. And, and, and here's the thing, Steve. His arrival as a man, this, this is something that's been foretold by dozens of scriptures since the beginning of time, and yet the, the broad mass of the world's population are not going to recognize him as the ultimate uh, transgenic incarnation or the beast of Revelation 13.1. And I, I should point out that in addition to all of those prophecies, to how alien deception could play in, to how modern biotechnology fits perfectly with this scenario, um, People should see that even the uh, recent U.S. foreign policies, uh, as well as domestic policies, have been, in my opinion, in the last eight years, seven years, have literally been paving the way for a great deception and the coming of the Antichrist. Most people don't realize, Tom, all the devil has to do to bring peace in certain areas of work is just basically call off his minions. When you're instigating something, controlling something, arming something, you can bring uh, miraculous wonders, especially if you're the one causing it. It's kind of like the Hegelian dialectic in reverse. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? Yes, he, absolutely. He, and I How think much this, time do we have? We've got another, uh, oh, good night, probably uh, 15 minutes. All right. Well, so, you know, for centuries it, there has been this assumption that there that a prerequisite for the coming of the Antichrist uh, is going to be a revived world order, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, so an umbrella under which all the national boundaries dissolve, ethnic groups, ideologies, religions, economics from around the world, everything's going to orchestrate beneath a single dominant sovereignty. I want to ask you a quick question since... Steve, you're much more of an expert in terms of finances than I am, and you have definitely um, increased the holdings of an awful lot of people by your um, 
you're advocating to them to invest in gold at the right time, and people who listened to you when gold was $400 an ounce, uh, you know, certainly increased their holdings. Uh, I want to ask you a question. If in addition to everything else that we're talking about, because we're talking about the triggers that could cause the world to suddenly be put into a position where they're looking for somebody to save them from the chaos and the collapse of their world as they understand it. There's no way in the world you can look at this topic without also understanding that the dollar, that economics, the yen, whatever, that the world's currency plays a role in what could happen overnight to put mankind in a place where they suddenly wake up one day, their their savings are not protected anymore. Suddenly they're in a position where they're saying, oh my gosh, I need somebody to save me. Steve, do you believe that what's happening right now in terms of the world's economy and what's happening in, in the United States could be prophetic in terms of leading towards this moment in time for the introduction of a new world order? Absolutely. I believe the new world order is orchestrating this. I believe that a super, you don't, you probably didn't hear uh, my last broadcast, but the supernatural intelligence that is controlling this, the people that are the world's most elite bankers at the heart of their faith is Illuminism. They do worship Lucifer, believing he's the true God. And, Tom, I think this is a springboard into a worldwide cataclysm, financial. Remember, Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil. And since the God of this world, little g of this world, is Satan himself, he's got his hands on the pulse. I've talked to absolute devil-worshipping Luciferians, and they say this, money is only used for us to corrupt and control. The ultimate end game for us is power and the power of life and death. Tom, I believe we're right there. I believe literally the event that you just said, you could go to bed one night, wake up the following morning. The, the point is, is that a people that have no money, have no cash, have no ability to conduct commerce, have no ability to buy the basic necessities of life, they're going to be looking for anybody that will get them back to the comfort zone. And that's, I think we're literally, and, and in my case I've announced this, I think we're literally within weeks of seeing something so cataclysmic financially that the rest of the world is going to revoke the U.S. dollar. How about this, the Chinese? You probably already said this, but the Chinese are being quoted saying the world urgently needs to create a diversified currency and financial yes. system and fair and just financial order that is not dependent on the United States. Right, that's right. A world currency. A world currency. But see, the thing is, is that... Isn't it amazing? We go to the book of Revelation, we get into the very, if you will, the financial system of the beast, the financial system of the Antichrist, that no one might buy or sell or trade unless they have the mark. And they, you know, there's people that argue over that, but the point is, is we're to a place, and isn't it fascinating, now, this is no longer, quote, contained. The biggest lie ever told in the history of financial U.S. monetary policy was it's contained. I don't know if you remember that, about a year ago. The, the home meltdown or the mortgage meltdown yeah. was supposedly contained, and that's when a lot of us said, boy, Pinocchio would be envious of the nose that the, <laughs> some of the bankers are growing. But the point is, Tom, yes, we're springboarding right in to the worldwide upheaval and, and, and pleading with people. I, I'm not kidding you. I make no bones about it. I believe that Jesus is the only answer. I believe he's our provision, our protection, our, our ability to persevere, our deliver, our umbrella, our high tower. And the thing is, is that I'm telling people, don't walk, run to the Savior. I'm serious. I could not be more serious. And with what you've told me tonight, i got news for you. 
Now I'm beyond overdrive. I've just gone into warp speed. It's that critically important that people understand because I put up with three decades of scoffing and mocking. You know, that goes with the territory. But the very fact that, again, I've come to the end of my radio career, or at least at my perspective and time, this is it, and this is the subject matter, and you and I are, in essence, uh, uh, doing what I believe is the most critically important informing, preparing, and that's what we're to do. You know, pastors are to equip the saints, and by the grace of God, may the living God in his mercy give this understanding in the power of revelation so that people can be equipped to deal with what they're going to deal with, but absolutely, yes. Well, you know, Steve, and and I'm very thankful, uh, and I don't believe that you're, you know, you, there may be changes in the way you're going to do business in the future, but you're, you, you've only just now come into your prime, um, and uh, and and you have assisted untold numbers of persons. I've seen some of those reports of persons who have said, Steve, you, you know, I'm thankful that I listened. Uh, to what you said in terms of investment, and uh, and and it was for the salvation of their household. Unfortunately, Steve, there is a whole world out there, and they're going to be looking to a utopian administration. And at the head of that, soon now, a personality is going to surface, and this person, he's going to appear to be distinguished. Um, but Daniel 8.23 says he will eventually become a king of fierce countenance. And with imperious decree, this Antichrist who puts himself forward as the salvation of the earth in these, term, uh, these, uh, you know, these tumultuous times, uh, he is going to facilitate a one-world government, universal religion, global socialism, and anybody that refuses his new world order is going to be imprisoned or destroyed until at last he exalts himself, the scripture says, above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And you know, Steve, what's astonishing to me, because I'm a, I'm a conservative libertarian, uh, for all these different years, the whole idea to me, that an Orwellian society could arise where, you know, one world government oversees all of the details of our lives, human liberties are being abandoned. Um, you know, I was, I was Ron Paul-esque before most people even knew who Ron Paul's name was. <laughs> to me, all of that was anathema. I mean, the whole idea that rugged individualism could somehow be sacrificed for some kind of a, you know, a universal, uh, harmony. Um, to me, this is, didn't even strike me at all. Then you, you've been as long, uh, you know, alive and in politics as long as I have. The 1970s came along. Nelson Rockefeller calling for the creation of a new world order. Then Jimmy Carter came along. You remember his campaign saying we have to replace balance of power politics with world order politics. And then worst of all, the 1980s come along. You have George Bush, senior taking this one-world dirge into a, a brand-new level. Yeah, man, he was announcing one... over television that a new world order had arrived. Yep. And then uh, and then addressing the Congress, where he was talking about that time, the first uh, war in Kuwait, 
how that it was a, a big idea, new world order, diverse nations being drawn together in common cause. But he was talking about a new world order. And, and following his newscast, you had this whole parade of what, I, I forget the term you used a moment ago, but it was political religious leaders, this whole discharge, a profusion of rhetoric through the media that was aimed actually at implementing the goals of this new world order. And uh, and so you had this whole uh, political, and, and, and I should also even say spiritual, the goals of New Agers, dominionists, the blending of politics and spirituality um, that brought in George Bush Jr. And 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 now when you look at the foreign policy that's put in place since, I mean it actually harmonizes perfectly with the idea of an end time marriage of government policy and religious creed, as was prophesied in the Bible. It also put us in strategic positions that are prophesied in the Bible that we've been talking about. I'm looking at the clock right now, so I want to make sure we have like eight or nine minutes. We're talking about the unfolding of an ancient scheme, aren't we? Absolutely. The oldest scheme, the oldest plot, the oldest conspiracy in the history of the universe. And at the whole core of this conspiracy, you have a leader, a person of indescribable brutality who's going to appear. This guy is going to make all of the depravities combined of Antiochus, Epiphanes, Hitler, Stalin, Tojo, uh, Genghis Khan, all of these who were types of the Antichrist are going to look like Pee Wee Herman's playhouse compared to this guy. Absolutely, Tom. I prayed. I was so frustrated by my lack of vocabulary in order to try and get across to the people listening to my radio show how to explain it. And Jesus said this, take everything wicked, everything horrid, everything that's been done up until this time, compress it into 42 months, and that's how bad it's going to be. Well, the Bible says he, he'll, he will raise his fist, speaking great things and blasphemy against God. He's going to blaspheme the name of God and his tabernacle and them that dwell therein. He must be a Hollywood producer. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do... Yeah, yeah, I mean, Satan's got most of those boys in his pocket, but quite candidly, I don't... You know, when you put that in perspective, I know I sound a little uh, cynical there, but the point is, is that... The thing that hurts me the most of, of, of seeing the marvelous salvation, redemption, protection, all that God offers us uh, through the power of the blood of Jesus is simply this, Tom. Most Christians don't see what we're talking about coming. <coughs> Excuse me. Most people aren't even prepared for it. And, and my prayer is, is that this, that seriously, I'm not kidding when I say this. My prayer is that this five-part series, by the grace of God, will go round the world so that by the power of the truth and the blood of the Lamb, that this can break people free of the de deception and delusion which will destroy them. I don't know any other way to say it. Well, Rev Revelation says, as many as who do not worship the, his image are going to be killed. Yep. Uh, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be rounded up. Now, I know we're we're going to run out of time. You've I got basically you've got about five minutes. Um, you've got five minutes to wrap it up. I'm going to let you wrap. All it right. Up. There is some good news for true believers and God's prayer warriors, and that is that we do have power to affect what goes on um, 
behind the scenes, if you will, the numbers of persons who might be saved, and uh, and in some case, even what is bound and loose behind these gateways that we've been talking about. For instance, Nehemiah 9.6, the prophet talks about uh, more than one heaven. He sees the heavens, and he sees the heavens of heavens. And these were not peripheral heavens like, you know, that are talked about in Mormonism, for instance. Heavenly divisions, as Paul referred to in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, saying, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this quickly because I know we're running out of time. Satan was called Belzebul, Lord of the Height, by the Jews. And Bible expositors believe that when Paul referred to this third heaven, he was speaking from his scholarly upbringing as a Pharisee concerning three heavens, which included uh, a domain of air, the cosmos, or height, an area controlled by Satan. In Pharisaical thought, this first heaven is simply the place where the birds fly. Um, you know, anything removed, not attached to the surface of the earth. On the other end of the spectrum uh, was the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. This was the place from which angelic spheres spread outward. And we talked about that earlier in the series. But between this first heaven, where the birds fly, and this third heaven, where dwells the throne room of God, was a war zone, Steve, called the second heaven. This was the cosmos. The Hebrew equivalent of the Persian Araman Abad, therefore the reason I call my novel the Araman Gate, um, but this was the place where Satan abides as the prince of the powers of the air, the air, the lower air, the circumambient, um, kind of a gasket heaven according to the text, a domain of Satan encomp encompassing the surface of the earth. And from here... Uh, cosmo craters could overshadow cities, locations, even homes. They could intrude upon. They could attempt to influence persons and even the affairs of governments. Um, it was believed that the cosmos not only influenced earth governments and puppeted human counterparts, but that Satan's minions, tried to close these heavens above cities and even homes so that God's answers and blessings, whatever, couldn't flow into it. Later it was believed that when saints, however, bent their knees in prayer, they had the power to pray through the walls and the gateways, Steve, uh, contained within this gasket heaven. This whole level of spiritual opposition to the saints' prayers uh, sometimes even depended on how far a city or a person had fallen either under Satan's control or God's control. Those persons you were talking about earlier today who were interceding for what is occurring within the uh, within this CERN, Large Hadron Super Collider Stargate. These whole texts within the Scripture tell us that persons can be subjugated to God or they can be subjugated to dark forces, but those who are part of the body of Christ. They have a power, Steve. They have a power that is that can't be regulated. And when our prayers leave our lips and they go upward through this demonic domain, straight to the throne of God, um, 
a warfare begins. If Satan considers those prayers significant, then his forces, they rise up to oppose them, like you saw in the book of Daniel, both going to and coming back from the throne of God. Remember when Daniel didn't receive the answer, and he had to keep interceding until the prince of Persia was pushed back. So this this domain, if you will, this cosmos, is a war zone for our prayer life. Um, but from the air above our cities, there are evil forces, and they are seeking to influence church direction, social philosophy, legislation, all the rest of it. But here's the good news. The effectual, fervent prayers of the righteous, Steve, are the battering rams that can push through all demonic opposition en route to and from the throne of God. That was illustrated in the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel where the prophet prays for 21 days until the angel breaks through and he delivers God's answer. So the persistence of our prayers and our position, when we pray according to his will, is what the text says, it creates activity within within the second and third heavens. And in turn, these heavenly responses can affect every level of spiritual, physical society. Uh, so that in our own personal lives, in our cities, in our state, in our country, wherever the, 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 the people of God, wherever their prayer is active, the heavens can be opened so that the healing power of God is flowing in freely. Daniel prayed until he pushed a hole through the walls of demonic opposition, and the heavens open with spiritual revelations. Um, Elijah prayed until the heavens opened and the rains began to fall. The disciples prayed until their prayers penetrated the heavens and the glory of Pentecost came rushing down from the throne of God. Jacob prayed until the heavens opened and the angels began ascending and descending. Elijah prayed and his servants beheld the heavens open. And the host of heaven standing upon the mountains to help them. So, Steve, anointed believers today don't have to be fearful of what you and I have talked about. True believers will have power over the deceptive forces now and those that are soon to be unleashed upon the earth. It will be, it will be terrifying for the earth's occupants. But for those who are true to Christ, those who come to him now, those who are part of his body, those are the ones, Steve, who are going to have power uh, to be able to withstand these uh, 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 un- undescribable forces that are soon to be unleashed upon the earth. Well, Tom, thank you so much. This is the end of our five-part series. We literally are to the second. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to this series, copy it, send it all over, send it to everyone you know. Tom, thank you so much for what I believe was the most significant series of interviews that I have ever done in my life. God well, bless you, my friend. Thank you, Steve. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. Please take this to heart. Pray over it. See if the things that we speak of are true. Bye-bye.